the United States government investigates UFOs and say they don't exist. Why haven't they done the same with ghosts? And then I'm going to tell you a story. My story. A simple story that happened to me between the 4th and 5th grade. It's a little mystery I like to call The Dragon, today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. Season finale, baby. We're the season finale. Now, I did have an episode planned for today, but as I got closer to recording it, I was like, nah, it doesn't really fit the theme of the show. And I didn't really like it. So I had to pull an audible. And I think this is actually a pretty good one for the end of the season. So this episode is going to be a little different. It's going to be a little more casual. There's not really going to be any show notes. We're going to talk about one personal story I had. But first off, a conspiracy theory that may may not exist. Because I have no proof of it. But something that I may have discovered while doing this show. In season four, we were very cryptid heavy. I covered a lot of cryptids, especially the last half of season four, because I just kept finding these really weird creatures, and a lot of people were sending in requests for cryptids as well. And I really like cryptids. I think they're kind of half monster story, like there's kind of always kind of a spooky element to them. And then you just have this idea of the wild, wild world that's out there. Now, some of them are likely to exist. Some of them are just fables. But I do like covering them. What I realized was a couple of the episodes where I was talking about cryptids. A couple of the episodes where I was talking about ghosts, like yesterday's episode with the mannequins. Ghosts, art exhibit, whatever it was. The giant bones, the giant skeletons, secret civilizations underneath Shasta Mountain, secret civilizations underneath LA. All this stuff that we've been talking about a lot in season four. I started to think. And actually, a lot of the episodes... And almost ended this way. Yesterday's episode definitely did end this way. But there was quite a few episodes about cryptids that I originally ended with saying, is it possible that these creatures are not here anymore because they've been taken somewhere? And I was like, no. And then I would come up with a different way to wrap up that episode. And as the season went on and I kept investigating these really, I think season four, we had a lot of weird stuff. A lot of weird, like, creatures and things like that. I thought, is someone taking these things? Like, is somebody collecting these things? Here's my thing. Let me get to the point here. The government investigates UFOs. And they create Project Blue Book. And they release it. And they say, all UFO encounters, except for maybe 5% of them, are swamp gas. It's Venus. It was a spy plane. It was a misinformed viewer. It was the stars. 99.9% of the time, well, technically 95% of the time, that's what it was. So technically UFOs don't exist. The 5% are the ones we can't explain, but it doesn't mean they're little green men. just means that we don't know what it is. So the government's come out and released their findings with Project Blue Book. The government has investigated psychics, remote viewers. They've investigated all of these fringe topics. And for the most part... It's come out that they said, yeah, we tried the whole men who stare at goats type of thing. It just didn't work. We tried remote viewers. It just didn't work. Like, And kind of the official line is, we were trying it because we knew the Soviet Union was trying it. And we didn't want to get caught flat-footed. But at the end of the day, none of it worked. And every so often you'll come across a document like, there was a guy who was able to remote view 
on the behest of the U.S. government, Mars, a billion years ago. Well, that does not, it, that doesn't do anyone any good. There's no way you can confirm it, so it's very convenient. But they did, we know that they did test psychics, and they did test with mind control, and that came out through MKUltra and that whole congressional hearing and things like that. Probably out of all of those, the biggest success they had was mind control. And even that was just like, we're working on it. But officially, they never perfected it. Where is the Project Blue Book for ghosts? Where is the Project Blue Book for cryptids? You can't tell me that the U.S. government, or really any major superpower, has not tried to investigate those things. And going off that conclusion, if that is true, which I believe it is, I believe at some point the U.S. government said, are ghosts real? Like, let's just do it. Let's, and everyone's like, oh, Barry, come on, man. He's like, no, 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 no. Hold up, hold up. Let's find out. We have did it with UFOs. And they're like, yeah, I guess we did. That was a national security concern, though. And someone goes, well, so could ghosts. Ghosts could be national concern, too. And they're like, why is your grammar getting all messed up? He's like, no, forget that, forget that. I got possessed for a second. If we can prove ghosts exist, it's not a religious question. It's a way we can weaponize this stuff. Imagine possessing, just like I was just possessed, imagine possessing a world leader. Imagine ghosts as spies. Imagine ghosts as a psychological deterrent for an enemy to not enter an area because it's haunted. Let's just, ask, let's just find out if ghosts are real. And the rest of the military officials, military intelligence is sitting around and going, yeah, yeah, why not? Let's throw a couple million dollars at it and the best scientists and technology that we have, and see if ghosts are real. I believe that meeting happened. I believe it's very likely that meeting happened. The only reason we know about Project Blue Book is because it said UFOs aren't real. And I think the only reason we wouldn't know about a government investigating supernatural events like ghosts or cryptids is because it is real. Conspiracy? Sure. But the longer I do the show, I'm still very, very skeptical. Very skeptical. But the more and more I do the show, eventually I realized that my episodes kind of kept ending, wanting to end with the same conclusion. If I was a member of a government, or a non-governmental organization even, who had money and power and access and wanted the edge on intelligence gathering and warfare, nothing beats ghosts and monsters. Either every story we've ever heard about a ghost or a cryptid is 100% fake, or the government has investigated them. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. Either every single one is made up, including the ones that I've told you, are just mass delusions, psychotic episodes, illusions, whatever. Either or just people lying. Either they are 100% fake, or governments of the world have investigated them. You have to choose one or the other. So what do they know that we don't know? Why are they holding it from us? And is that the real disclosure project we need? It's interesting. I had that thought, and I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Either it's fake or they are doing something with them. Either it's fake or they've investigated them. And the fact that they didn't release the Ghost Project Blue Book makes me think that not only did they find proof, but they're using what they found in secret. So, next I'm going to tell you about a story. This is one of those stories that you kind of got to take it how you take it. 
There's a lot of holes in the story. There's a lot of unanswered questions. I've only told this story to one person. To one person in my life. It was maybe about two years ago. I think it's weird. She thought it was weird. And then there was just kind of a silence that sat in the room between us. Because there's a lot of unanswered questions. Some leaps of logic. Yes. But let me tell you this story. My family moved around a lot. My father was a minister growing up, Southern Baptist minister, so we moved to where the churches were. He was also going to school at the time, so we like lived in Riverside for a while while he was going to California Baptist College. And then he moved up to the Bay Area, and he was at seminary in the Bay Area. And at that time, I was in the fourth grade, and I went to Strawberry Point School. Now, I had a, used to have a very, very thick New York accent. Never been to New York. It was just a speech impediment. So whenever I moved, everyone thought I had just moved from New York. Hey, get in the call. Let's get in the call. Come on. What you guys waiting for? I don't remember having the accent. I sounded perfectly normal to me, which is interesting to have an accent. And, and I know what it's like when people have accents and people go, I love your accent. And they're like, what are you talking about? Really thick New York accent. When I was in the fourth grade. So quite old. What is that? Like nine, ten, somewhere around there. The school district said... We're going to put Jason in a speech therapy class to work on that accent he has. He has a speech impediment. He has this heavy New York accent. Never been to New York. My parents were like, okay. This is where the story gets weird. I remember very little about a class I attended once a week for a year. I actually only remember one thing. Once a week. I would be sent out of my class at Strawberry Point, and I would walk across the field, and across the field there was a portable. So I don't know if they're everywhere in the world, but basically it is a portable classroom. It's basically like a long block. It's like a long building that's usually just set aside. It's a portable classroom. I remember I would leave my class. I would walk across that field. That seemed amazingly big, but, you know, it's because I was a kid. I'm sure it was fairly short. And I would go into the portable, and then I would go back to class. Now, what's weird is this is where we get into some weird stuff. One, I never remember walking back from the portable, but that's fine. That could just be because it was so routine, you forget about it. I remember walking to the portable. I don't remember walking back from the portable. I don't remember any of the lessons. I don't remember any of the topics or anything that I learned. All I know is that within maybe six months, seven, pretty much a school year, my speech impediment I had for about 10 years was completely gone. I didn't have it when I was a baby, obviously, but from the time I started talking to the time I was in fourth grade, my speech impediment was completely gone. Every so often you'll hear it. When I'm talking fast, you'll hear me say car instead of car. And you'll hear me, breath fix is still a word that I obviously get tripped up on. But for the most part, nobody thinks I'm from New York. I may mispronounce words quite often, but I don't have a speech impediment. I can, you know, do things. I remember one time being in that classroom. I remember walking into the class. There was the teacher, who all I can remember about her is she was a white brunette. And there was one girl who also took speech therapy that... I never saw around school. She was there. I walked in. The teacher's there. 
That's the only memory of going to that speech therapy class for a school year was the one time I walked into the room. That's it. Couldn't tell you what the room looked like. Couldn't tell you how many tables there were. Couldn't tell you what we talked about. Nothing. And you're like, okay, Jason, you've said before, let's be skeptical about you, Jason. You've said before on this podcast, you don't have a great memory of anything like pre-1992. And that's correct. That's correct. I have fragments of memories pretty much throughout most of my early life. I'll remember this event here. I'll remember my great-grandma McGee making me pancakes in the shape of Mickey Mouse. And I'll remember sitting there and watching cartoons on my table on the day I got Optimus Prime and all my toys and stuff like that. But I don't, and I assume, I always assumed everyone had memories like that. Until I realized a lot of people remember who they went to school with in elementary school. I can't do that. I remember key names, but for the most part, I don't remember most people. But, and that's true. That's true. So the fact that I don't remember walking from the portable, the fact that I only remember one classroom, one class session in there, while odd, is more in my normal range. But, it's still kind of weird. In fifth grade at Strawberry Point, we had ceramics class. Now, I'm not really good with my hands. I'm not a very good artist at all. I'm a writer. That's my art. So whenever we did, like, watercolors, I always sucked. Whenever we did piano, I was terrible at it. Dancing, I was okay at. But when it got time for ceramics, I was like, great, another thing I'm going to suck at. And I always put in minimal effort in school. It was just like, whatever. Just want to get stuff, get home, go home, play Nintendo. Actually, I think that was around the first time I bought a Nintendo, but they had just come out. I remembered putting in the minimal effort, and I made a clay bowl, which is the easiest thing you can make in ceramics class. And I made it, and I glazed it, and painted it, and all that stuff. And it was time for us to pick up our art projects, pick up our ceramic projects. The teacher had gone and had them fired, brought them back. I walk up and I grab my bowl and I go back to where I was standing because we had like those tables. And I think there might have been stools there, but anyways. And everyone's picking up their thing. And and I remember when I went up to go pick up my bowl, there was a probably 16-inch tall ceramic dragon that was painted with like the green skin. It kind of looked like Pete's dragon, which was one of my favorite movies as a kid. And it was about 16 inches tall, had a big old plump belly, little tiny arms, long tail that kind of wrapped in, like wrapped over by its legs, you know, like squat, basically like Pete's dragon, but a little more, a little less cartoony. Colors were a little more muted. And I think the fins on the back were a dark green. And I remember, and they had like the white belly. I think it was actually wasn't painted, so it was like the ceramic colored belly, but it was, it was an interesting piece. And I remember when I went up to go pick up the bowl, I looked at the dragon and I thought, that's awesome. Like, I wish I could make something like that. Took the bull back to my desk. I remembered seeing the dragon before that as well, but it was just, I remember just seeing it exist, like on a far off table. But now seeing it fully painted and fired, it looked great. I take the bull back. And everyone's getting their art projects. And I'm sitting next to my buddy. And... The teacher goes, and, of course, we have this dragon. Jason, come up and get your dragon. And I go, I didn't make that dragon. 
And the teacher got this confused look on her face. And she goes, you didn't? And I was like, no. No, I have my art project right here. And I held up the cheap little bowl. And she looks down at the dragon and she looks at me and she goes, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, yeah, this is my bowl. And she picks the dragon up. There's no name on the dragon at all. She looks underneath it. There's no name on it. She puts it back down. And then she's like, okay, class, let's go. Like, you know, get, take your stuff home. And everyone seemed very confused about what was going on. Because you have this amazing piece of art that no one in the class had made. And I'm thinking, well, someone from another class must have made it. I didn't, because I made this bowl. And I remember kids are putting stuff in their backpack. And I start putting stuff away, and my buddy turns to me, and he looks at me, and he goes, Jason, I watched you make that. And I just looked at him, and I go, no, I didn't. I made this bowl. Just get up and walk past them. That dragon sat on the teacher's windowsill for the rest of the school year. Nobody ever claimed it. Nobody ever picked it up. And I remember on the last day of school, I walked by there and saw it there. I had this bizarre connection to the dragon. The teacher thought I made it. My friend watched me make it, apparently. I never made it. Not only did I not make it, I would never, ever have the skill to make it. I couldn't make it today. I couldn't even draw you a picture of it, except using my words to draw a picture of it, because that's my art. But did I make it? How many witnesses do you have to have to tell you you did something, that you created something, before you believe them? I don't think I always had a problem remembering things. But I think at a certain point, it happened. But the problem with holes in your memory is that you can never track back to the truth. You can only track back to a half-remembered memory of walking across the field and then the next day starts. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great week, and I will see you in one week. Have fun, guys.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.